Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, mind if I sit? Uh, yeah. I'm under wife's orders to sit. Uh, so I don't blow my colon open in, in the middle of this today. Uh, God bless you. Welcome. If you're a guest today, welcome. You're in a good place. This is Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, I am pastor. For about the last week, I've been, last week, nothing, the last month, I've been worthless as your pastor, but I've been a very, very grateful church member of Woodburn Baptist Church. You've been so good to me. Um, I can tell you that when I was first uh, told that I had cancer in my colon, uh, it, it was horrible. It was horrible. Mostly because I had to carry that, that as a burden for about two weeks. I wasn't keeping secrets from anyone. I just didn't know exactly what to tell people yet. And so I waited till the doctors told me everything they could tell me before I started telling all of you. Uh, the turning point for me, the point at which it was no longer unbearable, was a moment when it was no longer unspeakable. When I could tell you all what I was dealing with at that point, uh, it became so much easier for me. Now, everything got worse from there. I'm not saying it didn't. Um, but it was so much more bearable simply because I had you. I had the church. And, and often we say, how do people do, how do people go through such things without the Lord, without the church? I, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, but I know that once I was able to tell the church family what I was going through, at that point, God worked through you in marvelous ways to sustain me. And, and I just thank you for all of it. I can't thank you enough. Thank you for praying for me. Uh, thank you for feeding me. Uh, you can stop telling me I'm skinny now. I know. Uh, I, will, I will make up for that as well. Uh, I got the best news possible. I thank the Lord for that. Also, surgery went well. And I'm recovering well, and I'm delighted to be in the pulpit today uh, insofar as I am. So, so let's get started. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. In the cafe this morning, uh, we love you guys so much. I have to thank the cafe folks. Uh, all those Sundays when I was home uh, in bed, uh, just hating Sunday when I couldn't be in church at all, cafe folks were periscoping for me. Periscope is an app on the iPhone which allows you to live stream whatever's happening, and they periscoped cafe for me week after week, and I love that so much. Thank you all for, for making me able to be a part of worship here. And I uh, Appreciate you being a part of worship this morning. First Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll start. Uh, I'm really not bringing anything brand new today. This is a basically reminder of all the things we already know about what it means to, to, to be in Christ. Uh, my, my brain's kind of gone with part of my colon, so I, I'm not thinking well. There was a kid in our church, y'all can tell me who it is later, but there was a kid in our church who at one point uh, was known for what she would say when her mother would drop her off in the nursery here at church, and I don't remember which kid it was, y'all will tell me later. Uh, but anyway, when the mom would drop the kid off in the nursery, the kid used to say that mama was going to the big nursery. Now, typically we call this big church, you know, going to big church, but that kid used to call this the big nursery. She was in the little nursery, and mom and dad went to the big nursery. So you're in the big nursery. How accurate is that? It may depend on what pew you're sitting on, what row you're sitting on in the cafe, but... But the, the, the big nursery, 
the, the big nursery. I would say physically that's not true. Most of you are, are well past the physical stage of being in the nursery with the little ones. You're, you're no longer needing to be diapered and fed. You will make it through this service without animal crackers, uh, although you'd like them, but, but you'll make it. You, you, you'll make it. Um, physically, it's not accurate to call this the big nursery, but, but what about spiritually? What about spiritually? In 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to Christians at a place called Corinth, it was a city in the Roman Empire, and it's called Corinthians because the people who lived at Corinth were Corinthians. And so Paul's writing to Christians, a church at Corinth, the the, the Corinthian Christians. And Paul, having been there and, and, and knowing the congregation very, very well, Paul sort of comes away from his last visit thinking, that's the biggest bunch of babies I've ever seen in my life. And he wasn't talking about physically. He was talking about spiritually. These people are infants. These people are immature. And he writes this letter back to try best he can to help them to see their own immaturity. Because the thing is, when you're immature, you usually don't realize that. Recognizing immaturity is a part of maturity. So when you're immature, you often don't know. So Paul is writing this letter, at least in in, in some degree, to hold up a mirror to this church and help them to see that they are so, so immature, they can't see it. Let's start in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, going to read right into chapter 3 a a little bit. Uh, Again, the church at Corinth was an amazing place. Worship was always well attended. Uh, Apparently, worship service were really, really thrilling and exciting. They excelled in every kind of spiritual gift you can imagine. People healed and got healed in their services. People spoke in tongues and interpreted tongues. People brought words of wisdom. And honestly, some of the people at Corinth, they think they're so very, very wise. And Paul needs them to see their immaturity. This is where it goes. Chapter 2, verse 1. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All right, stop right there. Stop right there. They think they're very, very wise, and they love to talk about lofty religious ideas. But Paul said, you know what? When I was with you, I sort of planned on preaching one sermon over and over and over, and that was Jesus. I just didn't know anything else with you except Jesus and him crucified. So, so, so right there, here's, here's something of a key here. If, if, if as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian and, and your life is not focused on Jesus, there's something profoundly wrong with your heart. Paul recognizes that at Corinth, as, as, as much as they have going on and as broad as their interests are, they need to come back to Jesus and him crucified. If that's not your focus, that might be your first bad sign. Let, let, let's keep going. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet, when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. Okay, now that's your first clue there. What did he say? When I was with you, I didn't use words of wisdom. Now, when I'm with mature believers, I do. 
Okay, so that's, that's the first, first slap there. When I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But, but for the rulers of this world, they've not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love them. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the spirit, using the spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual, listen, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would, as I would talk to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world, as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you're still controlled by your flesh, by the sinful nature. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by the flesh, by the sinful nature? Let's stop there. Back at Christmas, a mom and dad bought their kids, three kids, they bought them uh, one of those really pretty expensive keyboards. You know what I'm talking about? In the old days, most every house anywhere had a piano. People had pianos in their house, and, and kids would grow up around a piano, and, and the hope was always that one of them would accidentally learn to play. And, and some of you in, in your own house, you grew up with a piano there, and, and you learned to play, and, and, and that's wonderful. Uh, Mom and dad, in this situation, they wanted their kids to have that exposure. They wanted maybe one of their kids to learn to play piano. So they bought a keyboard. That's what you do these days. Not a big, big, you know, console piano, but just a keyboard. It was pretty expensive, pretty fancy, actually. And, and they knew the kids would love it, and the kids did love it. The thing about the, the fancy electronic keyboard is, is you plug it in, and, and it has all kinds, of, all kinds of tricks. And among the tricks are, are these uh, sort of pre-recorded sound effects, uh, sort of a, a rhythm thing. You know what I'm talking about? I don't have words at, at this moment, but, but y'all know. Uh, little buttons you push that, that sort of make music that, that should inspire you to sort of play along. And you could pick out the different styles of music. It was all pre-recorded. You know what I'm, what I'm saying? And so you could pick out like bossa nova. 
And then it would make this bossa nova, boom, chicka, boom, boom, boom. You know what I'm talking about? Or you could pick hip hop, and it would be like, I can't do that. Yeah. Sorry, front row. Uh, yeah, you know, hip hop or, or rock and roll, you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, all of these sounds. But then it had one that was called techno. And techno was the lamest, the, the, just the, the dumbest. But as it turns out, the kids love techno. On Christmas Day, they just kept playing techno. They could do hip hop or bossa nova, whatever, but they kept going back to hip hop, I mean, to, to uh, techno. And techno was just this really lame, boom, chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom. Now, why the kids love that? Mom and dad couldn't understand, but it was day one. It was the first day with the keyboard, and the kids didn't know how to play the piano, so they just played techno. Boom, chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom, boom. And then, you know, Christmas Day, you know how it is, the kids would, would start techno playing, and they'd walk off. And so dad would walk in the room, and, and that stupid keyboard would be there playing techno all by itself. Boom, chicka. Boom, 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 chicka, you know, and, and, and that's annoying, but it's Christmas. You understand? It's Christmas. The dream was, the idea was that day by day the kids would, would, would learn to play the piano, but, but because they had this nice keyboard in the house. Okay, what month is it now? It's, it's September, right? I, I missed August. This is September now, now, now right? Um, and it's September at that house, too. The, the thing is, in, in what, 10 months, those kids are still stuck on techno. Those kids have never learned to play a note on the actual keyboard, but they still play techno like the radio. Boom, chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom. Like all the time. If the kids are home, one of them probably pushes that crazy button and they just play techno. The father is now at the point where he's ready to throw the keyboard and maybe two of the kids out the window. You understand? Because the idea was that they would make progress. It might be okay to be stuck on techno on day one, but this is 10 months later. 10 months later, there's some expectation, some dream that, that one of those children might have learned something by now, that one of those children might be ready to go beyond pushing the preset button and, and playing the lame techno sound. You understand? And, and this is what I want you to understand today about the Christian life. God intends that we make progress. God intends that a, that a Christian progress from spiritual infancy to maturity. We all start out as spiritual infants. On day one, on the day when you accepted Christ, at the moment when you gave your heart to Jesus, at that moment when you surrendered, you were born again. That's the kind of language Jesus used when he was talking to Nicodemus. You're, you're born again. And so you're something of a spiritual infant, a baby in Christ. And that's okay on day one. But God's plan from the very beginning was that you make progress, that, that you grow somehow past spiritual infancy, past day one, past the day when you came through the waters of baptism, that you grow. You become something else. Day by day, you're supposed to mature. You've heard this before, correct? That's not new. We talk about this quite a lot here at Woodburn, and at Woodburn, we use the acronym REFLECT 
in order to talk about Christian maturity. Let me remind you of REFLECT. It's an acronym where each of the letters stands for something. At one point, we gave you a really nice bookmark. Maybe you still got it in your Bible. Maybe you don't. If you don't, why don't you open up your Bible right now and write this down in one of the blank pages at the front. This will help you remember what Christian maturity looks like. This is what we're going for. We want to move you past techno, you understand, towards something like Christ. And it looks like reflect. So let's start with the R. R stands for, say it, relationship. R stands for relationship. To grow in Christ, to mature in Christ means you grow in your capacity to love God and others. You can't separate loving God and loving others. You will love God, you will love others, and you'll grow in that more and more as you progress. You you grow in love. You can't separate the Christian faith from God's love. First John says, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love. God is love. So if God is love, and if in Christ we are brought into a right relationship with God, then understand, growing in Christ means to grow in this relationship of loving God. And the more we love God, the more His love overflows in our hearts that we might love others. The Christian life is a life of love, and as you grow, you'll become a more loving person. More love for God, more love for others. E stands for evangelism. Things that are alive, they grow, and things that grow multiply. It's just a fact of biology. So if you are a living, growing Christian, your life will naturally attract others to Christ. Your life will naturally begin to lead others to Jesus. You'll be a witness. You'll be an evangelist. Your life will will multiply believers. It's a simple part of the Christian life. Jesus says, go into all the world, and, and you make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's the Christian life. E is evangelism. F stands for, say it, fruit of the Spirit. We're talking again from the New Testament where the Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'll leave one out. Can we just say I got them all? Let's say I did. Let's just say I did. Fruit of the Spirit. Notice that all of those fruit of the Spirit are things that are born out in relationship. We're back to relationship. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So the more deeply I grow into the Spirit of God, the more He works patience in me. And patience is only good when you're in a situation where you might need to use some, which means God's going to put around you people who are going to make you absolutely crazy. People that will demand patience, that will try your patience. This explains why you married that guy. You understand? God wanted you to learn patience. You're going to learn gentleness and goodness and self-control. So understand, your life will always lead you into situations where you have to practice and bear these fruit of the Spirit. They're called fruit which just means that they just grow. It's a natural part of the Christian life. These fruit begin to emerge from your life when you live in the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. L stands for, say it, listening. Yeah, it's a life of listening to God, listening to His voice, learning to be familiar with His voice. 
Some of you have been Christians now for years and years and years, but you'd still say that you don't ever hear God speak to you. Okay, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. I'm not saying that you, you, you can't be a Christian, but I'm just saying you haven't progressed very far if after all of this time you haven't grown in your prayer life enough to where you feel like you can hear God's voice. It's a life of listening. We listen to his voice through the Holy Spirit. We listen to his voice through the word of God. Through reading the Bible, God speaks through the word. Maybe the reason you don't listen, you haven't heard his voice is because you don't read, it, read his word, but, but you listen, and you listen with his heart to obey. The, the fruit of the spirit, the, the listening, these are all parts of being a mature Christian. Let's keep going. The next E is for edification. It's, it's a New Testament word that, that has to do with building up. An edifice is a part of a building, the front part of a building. It means to build. So edification means that my life has something to do with building up the lives of others. This is why we come together as a body of Christ in the church. We have this responsibility in the lives of others. I recognize as a mature believer that God has a purpose for me. God has uh, some important work that I'm going to do not for myself but for others. And that's why the church is so important. That's why we come together because I need you and you need me. And there are things that God wants to do in my life that will never get done if you're not pouring into my life the things, the gifts that God gives you. Do you understand? Edification reminds every single one of us that, that we are all ministers, that we all have purpose, that we all matter very, very much in the kingdom of God. Edification has to do with your, your life in the body of Christ. The C is, is Christ-likeness. Christ is our example. He's every single one of our example, man, woman, boy, or girl. Christ died on the cross that you might be able to know God and become more and more like him. We're, we're becoming like Jesus. That means I should be becoming more forgiving. The, the Jesus who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, he's my example. He's my example in submission. He's my example in gentleness. He's my example in dedication to the Father's will. Jesus is my example in everything. And you can't say that you follow him. You can't say that you know him if in the process of following and knowing him, you're not gradually changing to be more like him. Christ-likeness is at the very heart of the Christian life. R-E-F-L-E-C-T stands for transformation. It's, it's, it's change. It's a life of constant change. I know some of you haven't changed, you haven't changed underwear in like three weeks. I mean, you just don't change anything. You don't change the color of paint in your house. You don't change, you're still driving the same car. You still listen to AM radio. I mean, I understand you don't change stuff. But if you're going to live the Christian life, there's going to be a transformation. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's always happening, you understand? It can't be that the old left once and you got some new way back then. God's always making things new, and he's always making you new. So if Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you can keep coming to church, you can keep calling yourself a Christian, but nothing ever changes, that's not a good sign. The transformation is absolutely a part of the Christian life. It's a part of Christian maturity. 
So Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, you know, when I was with you, it was strange. When I was with you, I I found that I really couldn't speak of, of any sort of deeper things. I couldn't go very far in the spirit because you couldn't take it. You you couldn't tolerate it. And in the process of explaining this phenomenon of how in the world this whole church was so so full of big babies, Paul manages to describe three different kinds of people. And in the world today, wherever you go, you will encounter these three kinds of people. They're probably the only three classifications that even matter, these three kinds of people. The first kind of person that Paul talks about is is what he calls the natural man, the natural person or the, the unspiritual person. Notice what he says. When we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So first off, Paul says there are just unspiritual or or, or natural people. Natural people means they are in the state that they were born in. They're natural and therefore lost. We could use that word. These are non-Christians, lost people, natural people. They've never experienced salvation in Christ. They've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are just natural. They are just as lost as they can be. Now, probably most people you know and most people in the world fit under this category. They're just natural people. They're lost people. They're not spiritual. And this is the distinction that that Paul makes. Christians, spiritual people have the Holy Spirit, but natural people don't. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have the mind of Christ. Do you understand? They're just lost. They're not spiritual. So what that means is they don't really have any appetite for spiritual things. They don't even understand spiritual things. These are your coworkers that when you go back to work tomorrow, and if you were to tell them you spent several hours at church on Sunday, they would just think you're crazy. They don't understand that. Or when you talk about your problems in your marriage, but your commitment to stay because of your your commitment to love and your commitment to Christ and your commitment to this partner, I mean, they don't understand that. They don't understand faithfulness because they don't have Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Not long ago, Zondervan Publishing Company, Zondervan is the publisher of the NIV, the New International Version. It's a great version of the scriptures. Uh, Zondervan having done some research and and being under the the impression that this current generation of young people is actually very, uh, some would say spiritual, Paul wouldn't use that word. They are drawn towards spiritual things, but they're not Christians. They they aren't necessarily interested in the Bible. It's like a been there, done that thing. They're interested in religion and religious ideas, but not, not so much the Bible. So knowing this, Zondervan decided to try and and market the Word of God, to try to market the Bible to this generation that's asking religious questions but really have no sort of foundation, no biblical foundation for getting any answers. So Zondervan began to ask, how do we reach them? How do we market to this this generation of of, of kids who really need the truth but, but have no means of finding it? They decided to advertise in Rolling Stone magazine. Y'all know Rolling Stone? Me neither. 
No, Rolling Stone, gosh, it's been around for a thousand years. It's, it's a rock and roll magazine. It's, 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 it's Rolling Stone, y'all. It's been around forever. Um, if you've ever thumbed through a Rolling Stone, you'll see that they advertise everything. I mean, everything. I mean, everything. I mean, it, it's all in there. Um, you know, male enhancement and um, most everything else. Uh, it's just, you know, the, there's just nothing that's not in Rolling Stone, but... But Rolling Stone had a real problem when Zondervan wanted to advertise the, the NIV Bible. They struggled with that. And their actual words were, we're not sure that the message of your ad fits. It doesn't fit with our magazine. Well, it doesn't. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Are, are you surprised by that? Would you really expect Rolling Stone magazine to say, oh, great, an ad for the Bible. We've been wanting to run something. No, no. Um, this is sort of sometimes you, you don't think you have to say certain things, but, but I think we need to say certain things. And this is just the, the truest thing I know how to say. You can't expect non-Christian people to think or act like Christians. They're not going to. It's the world, y'all. It's the world. And I know some of you, you watch television and you just get all bent out of shape because the world acts like the world. It is the world. It is the world. They do not hold your values. They don't think about marriage the way you think of marriage. They don't think about sex the way we think about sex. They don't think about anything the way we think about it because it's the world. You understand? And you shouldn't expect any different out of them. You shouldn't expect Rolling Stone magazine to put the NIV Bible on the front page. They're not going to. They don't get it. And Paul says they can't get it. They're never going to understand it. Certain things require the Holy Spirit. And if people aren't spiritual, they're never going to get it. This explains half of your family on Easter. This explains half your family every Saturday night. Do you understand? It's the world. They live in the world. They think like the world. They act like the world. Why are you even surprised? Paul's not surprised. It's just plain. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. That's why they think we're fools. They think we're crazy. They don't get it. They're never going to get it. That's the point. That's the point. But what does Paul say next? What does he say next? Those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all, all things. You understand? Because we have the mind of Christ. So for Paul, the, the first category of people is, of course, natural people, non-believers, the world. But, but the second category is spiritual people. What Paul would say, Christians. We're Christians. And we're different. We're totally different. And the difference is the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. The difference is the difference that the mind of Christ makes. And if you call yourself a Christian, but there's no difference, that's a really bad sign for your faith. It's different. And Paul says this as if it would be obvious to anyone who's actually been around the church at all. Spiritual people are different. Spiritual people are unable to understand spiritual truths. They're able to understand Christian principles and Christian morals and values. Our hearts are being shaped day by day by the Spirit of Christ who is within us. 
And because of the fact that we're growing in relationship with God and with others, and because of the fact that we put a high premium on bringing others to know Jesus in evangelism, and because the Holy Spirit is bringing forth His fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that's shaping my mind, that's shaping my character. I'm different. We're supposed to be different. And because of this life of listening to God in His Word, and not just reading the Bible to find a verse that inspires me, but to read His Word in order to find the verses that command me, in order to find the verses that help me understand how I need to change. I've been walking with Jesus now for like 44 years, but I can't open His Word and not somehow have a mirror put in front of my face, and I see that I need to change. I'm not there yet. I'm not completely like Christ yet. I got a long way to go. This life of listening is is a life of of continually, continually coming back to Him. It's a life that brings me into fellowship with the church. I'm edified by you. I don't know where I would be without you folks. You're my family. You're my friends. You're everything to me. And I am, for the most part, the man that Christ has made me to be as a result of being in fellowship with you. You've shaped me. You've formed me. We have a tremendous influence in each other's lives, a tremendous influence in the way we all turn out. It's the way Christ makes us when he brings us together into the church. You're going to leave a mark on me, and I'm going to leave a mark on you. And Paul uses that word edification. That mark is always to, to be for building one another up. And after years of being built up in the church, being built up by you, I'm a different person. Aren't you a different person? Good Christ-likeness. In fellowship with Christ, this Christian life, I'm, I'm shaped, I'm formed. I say I'm following him. That means that in the day-to-day life of following after Jesus, I end up going to the places he would go. Not necessarily the places I would choose to go. He leads me to the places I might not choose to go, but I go because that's where the path leads me. I'm I'm following him. I find myself going to the places where Christ would go. I find myself doing things that only Christ would think to do. I I find myself saying things that only Christ might think to say because I'm following him. It's a life of Christ-likeness, but transformation. changing. God help me. I pray that I'm changing. I'm not the man that that, that I need to be, but I'm not the man I used to be either. It's it's a spiritual life. This is the Christian life. I'm not explaining to you the preacher's life. I'm just talking to you as a believer. I haven't said anything that shouldn't be true for you as well. So I said that you can't expect lost people to think or act like Christians. You don't expect natural, unspiritual people to to think like spiritual people. But let me say this. You don't expect Christian people to think or act like non-Christians. Shouldn't that be true? You don't expect Christians to think or act like the world. Honestly, that's what's so discouraging sometimes to me. Because I don't expect Christian people to go out and act like the world. And this is what Paul is saying now to the church at Corinth. I've been to your place, he says. I was with you. I I taught and and I preached with you. And I never really expected to discover a great big nursery at Corinth. 
I never really expected to walk in and find a whole bunch of of giant babies. But Paul says, that's what you were, just a bunch of big old babies. I I found that I I couldn't even teach the way I wanted to teach. I couldn't preach the things I would preach somebody else. It was like I was trapped in some sort of room with, with the primary Sunday school class. You act like a bunch of children, spiritual infants, and actually you don't expect that out of Christians. You expect the world to act like the world, but it's absolutely bewildering when you go out into the world and find Christians living like the world. That's the part that's hard to understand. That is the contradiction of the gospel itself, that actually some of you are a very different person at church on Sunday than you will be at work or school on Monday. That's really hard to explain. We don't expect that, but we encounter it all the time. And this is what Paul says. Dear brothers and sisters, in chapter 3, verse 1, when I was with you, I, I couldn't even talk to you as I would to spiritual people. He calls them brothers and sisters. So, so he acknowledges that they're real Christians. He's not saying they're not Christians, but he says, I ain't never seen nothing like you people. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't even talk to you like I was talking to Christians. I couldn't even talk to you like I was talking to Christians. I had to talk as though you belonged to the world. I had to talk to you like I was talking to lost people because you're more like lost people than you are like spiritual people. This is what Paul is saying to the church. I couldn't even talk like I was talking to Christians. It was like I was in a room full of lost people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you're not ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. The the word that Paul uses there is actually kind of a King James word. It's carnal. Carnal comes from the word that means flesh. Flesh. Uh, Chili con carne is chili with meat. Understand? Carnal has to do with flesh. So Paul is saying here, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you're not ready for anything stronger. You're still not ready for you're controlled by the flesh. You're carnal. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're still carnal? You're, you're carnal. You're controlled by the flesh. So, so if there are three kinds of people for Paul, you got lost people, natural people, spiritual people or Christians, and And then this really strange category of Christian that he just calls carnal Christians. More like the world than they are like Christ. They don't think like Christ. You can't even talk to them like you're talking to Christians. It's more like talking to a lost person. It just defies explanation. But they're everywhere. Carnal Christians are everywhere. They're they're a a literal contradiction of the gospel itself. The the gospel that says if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Because a whole lot of people calling themselves Christians, there is no new creation. They're they're still carnal. They're, They're controlled by the flesh. They still live like hell. They live like the world. How do you even explain that? Introduce you to a to a guy. Uh, this, this guy's name is actually Stanley Thornton. This is a real guy. I apologize in advance for this dude. Um, this is from ABCNews.com. Stanley Thornton. Headline: Adult baby wears diapers, sleeps in crib. 
Are you ready? I'm showing you this picture so you don't think I make this stuff up. All right? Reading from abcnews.com. Stanley Thornton is 31, but his greatest pleasure comes from wearing a diaper, drinking his bottle, and sucking on his pacifier. He knows he's overage and oversized for such games. But since his early teens, Thornton has found comfort in his private obsession. He even has a crib, three feet long and six feet wide. You can see it behind him. I think he could use a bigger one. That's just me. I found a way to make it work, said Thornton, a former security expert from Redding, California. It's a twin bed with four side rails. Thornton's obsession started when he was 13 and he began wetting the bed. I wore diapers so I didn't have to change the sheets all the time, he said. And I got that childish feeling and I decided to explore that. The next time I got a bottle and pacifier and I really enjoyed it, it gave me a safe feeling. He even has a mommy who enjoys nurturing and tending his every need. He met her online. In 2002, he moved in with his baby mama. Her name is Pam. She loved being able to do all the nurturing, he explained. And with a play mother, it was a lot more fun, he said. I imagine. His favorite pastimes are watching children's cable channels and listening to kids' music. He also likes to play with Lincoln Logs and Play-Doh. Last year, he met another adult baby in his hometown, and they have fun playing together. Yeah, playdates. He found another adult baby. I'm like, there are two. Here we go. Last line. The biggest challenge for Thornton is the realization that others outside these communities think he's weird. His biggest challenge is the fact that other people find him weird. I would think the biggest challenge would be finding a romper that size, that, you know, like a onesie. To fit, Stanley, I think the big challenge would be, you know, the onesie with the penguins. Uh, The challenge is that people find him weird. He is an adult baby. It is weird. I think it was, uh, what's the senator's name? Tom Coburn, is that his name? When uh, Stanley Thornton's story came on ABC News, uh, Senator Coburn investigated because it was part of the story that this dude is on uh, disability. He can't work, you know, because he has so many, you know, so, so much Play-Doh to, to deal with. Um, it, it is weird. I'm not saying that he's not, doesn't have a disability. I say with all seriousness, there is something really wrong with this man. There's something really wrong with him. As I've said, though, the, the problem in the church is that there are so many baby Christians, but somehow we don't think they're weird. We see grown-ups who say they've walked with Jesus for years and years and years, and, and, but honestly, spiritually, they're, they're still in diapers, and, and somehow that's not out of place. Somehow... Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, carnal Christians, infant baby Christians can continue in church and never seem out of place. It's heartbreaking. When I was a kid, uh, we had an incubator for uh, eggs. 
redneck alert. Yeah, we, we had chickens and turkeys and, and all kinds of things like that on our farm. And uh, we bought this incubator, which was awesome. It was, it was see-through. And uh, you put the eggs in, and, and they would heat up, and you'd turn them. Uh, and then on, on the day when they would hatch, they would hatch. It was just fantastic. I loved it. It was just great. Uh, the thing is, though, occasionally you get an egg that, that was in that incubator that whole time. Ever how long it takes, I forget now, but, you know, 21 days, whatever. Uh, so you got this egg that really never turned into anything. So can you imagine what happens to an egg that just rolls around in that nice, warm, you know, 98.6 incubator for 21 days? You're turning it, it's, you're keeping it warm, but it's not really ever going to make it. You know, on hatch day, all the chickens and turkeys are popping out of their eggs, and it's glorious. But then that one egg just sits there. Okay. Um, one of the first times my dad said, you want to do something fun? Why don't you go out and throw that up against the side of the barn? Okay. Y- y'all know what that was at that point? It was the rottenest egg you can possibly imagine. Rottenest egg in the world. And you throw it up against the side of the barn, and it would just explode stink. It just explode stink. I'd have secondhand stink for, for days and, and days and days. There's nothing so foul, no pun intended, nothing so foul. Um, <laughs> as that egg that had been in all of the right, all of the right conditions for life, but it, it didn't live. Nothing smelled so bad. Paul says, you're infants. You're like infants in the Christian life. I couldn't teach you. I couldn't preach to you like I would because it was just like I was talking to lost people. I couldn't really go into the Word with you. I couldn't talk about things of the Spirit because you're not spiritual. I can't understand it. I can't explain it because you're supposed to be Christians, but I, I, I can't even preach to you people. You're, you're like lost people. So, so maybe one of the big symptoms of, of, of being carnal is, is just that... That incredible lack of appetite for the Word of God. You know, some of you are getting antsy because I'm preaching a long time. My wife thinks I'm blowing my colon out. The rest of you are just bored. Uh, because, you know, it's just an hour or 15 minutes is a long time to be in church. That's what some of you are thinking. Why can't, why can't it happen in an hour? Like an hour in church for you is like as long as you can possibly make it. However, if they tell you at Montana Grill you're going to have to wait for an hour and 15 minutes for a table, that's just about right for you, isn't it? I mean, you can wait an hour and 15 minutes for a table at Montana Grill, but if church goes over an hour, you're just about to blow a gasket. I just want to suggest that's a bad sign for you. You can binge watch an entire series lost. You can do that in a weekend and never move. You could be like Stanley in a diaper so you don't have to get up. You could just watch TV. I mean, you love that. I mean, you have this attention span for garbage that just never, ever ends. But, but, but if I read a chapter of the Bible to you, that's a little bit too much. You understand there's, there's something wrong if that describes you. No, no appetite. You just don't get it. You don't get the Bible. You don't get anything. You don't understand why people are, are so excited about worship. I mean, if you're that person, you really need to look at your heart because if you truly are a Christian, you're not normal, that there's something wrong, there's something sick about you, because that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of making progress toward maturity. Something ought to be changing in you day by day, week by week. You can't just stay the same. 
It's the appetite, Paul says, something about the appetite. But then notice, if, if the Christian life is lived out in relationships, relationships break down. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you're not ready for anything stronger, and you're still not ready because you're controlled by the flesh. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're still carnal? Interesting. One of the big signs of spiritual immaturity is, is people in the church that can't get along with each other. And he says, doesn't that prove it? People at Corinth were like that, man. I mean, they get up early in the morning to come up with new ways to, to divide themselves from each other, that they can't get along. Paul says, that says everything. You can't get along with anybody. You're jealous. You, you fight. Did you understand what, what he's saying here? That's not how mature Christians act. That's not how mature people go to church. If, if you're that person, and, and I don't think we have any really, but let me just say, if you're that person that, that, that's always getting your feelings hurt at church, grow up. Just, just, just grow up. I mean, that's what Paul says. If, if you're that person who's just always, always got your feelings hurt, you're always really sensitive, you're jealous, you're always fighting. I mean, nobody ever does enough to please you. I mean, doesn't that prove that, that you're still controlled by the flesh? Because that's not a part of the spirit. If you're that person that can't forgive anybody, I mean, you still in any conversation can rehearse something somebody did to you two years ago. You're still carrying that around, that there's something wrong with your Christian life. I mean, don't you think by this point, if you were listening to God, he would not have told you to forgive? You're not listening, apparently, or not interested in what God would say, not interested in being more like Christ, or you'd be forgiving. You'd forget some of this stuff. You don't just carry it. You don't just continue to go through your life and nothing ever changes. Paul says that's proof enough. You're carnal. Unfortunately, that's exactly how a lot of people just choose to be. Actually, you're thinking it's a pretty good deal, aren't you? Because, I mean, you can go to heaven. You don't have to worry about hell. You're saved. It's good enough. And then you can still live like you want. You, you can just be a big old baby. I mean, you know, you can stay mad and you can put yourself at the middle of everything and you can uh, stomp off and you don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Just call yourself a Christian and, and don't grow. No. Remember what I said a few minutes ago about about going through something when you say, man, I don't know how people without Jesus could make it through that. I just had that month. I had that month. I don't know how people without Jesus could make it through what I just went through. I don't know how people without a Christian family, I don't, I don't know how they would do it. I really don't. And that's what's so heartbreaking. That, that honestly, in, in our congregation, you know, probably a third fall in this category of carnal Christians. I don't know, but probably a third, more. And it's strange to think that, that, that you're satisfied with that. You know, you said, I don't know how people who don't know Jesus, on people that Jesus could make it through stuff. Well, this is what I'm saying to you. You call yourself a Christian, but you go through everything without Jesus. You, you live your life like a lost person. Like a non-spiritual person, there is so much that Jesus wants to do for you and through you and in you, but you're not receiving any of that. There's so much that he wants to do to make your life more full of love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. You understand? These are all the gifts the Spirit would give you, but you don't have any of these things. Somehow you've decided that that's okay. It's not okay. Paul says the craziest thing. I mean, last time I was with you all, if I didn't know better, I just thought I was with a bunch of lost people. Think there are any Christians in the house? Can you imagine that? He's talking to a church. I'm thankful I'm not talking to that church at all. But I may be talking to some individuals who fit that description. You live more like a lost person. You think like a non-Christian. There's something wrong. I just want to call you back to Jesus. There's not a lot of wisdom that needs to be preached in most situations. Maybe like Paul, sometimes what you got to do is say, man, I don't have anything else to tell you about except Jesus and him crucified. And, And honestly, a whole lot of us just need to come back to Jesus, come back to the cross. Whatever it is that you call the Christian life, if it's not beginning and ending and continuing at the cross of Jesus, there's something wrong. You've left the path. I want to call you back to Jesus today. And not just to Jesus. I I want you to have everything that Jesus wants for you, and and that means a life of growing up in him. I've been your pastor nearly 20 years. A lot of us have been at this thing for a long, long time. By this point, we ought to really be doing something for Jesus. By this point, we should be a whole lot further down the road. Let's come back to him. Let's give him full control, full access to our heart, to our church. Let's make sure that we don't become satisfied with some kind of Christianity that is literally not a life in the spirit. Let's give the spirit full control. And then we can in all ways grow up into Christ. That is the Christian life. Pray with me. Lord, we say we don't know how people make it without Jesus, and then we walk out of church and we live apart from you, Jesus. We will go to work tomorrow with hardly a prayer on our lips. We will endure an entire week and never open the pages of our Bible. We don't necessarily think like Christ. We don't do the things Christ would do. And we somehow have come under the impression that that's okay, that that's normal. Lord Jesus, help us to understand that this life of sameness, this life of stagnation, this life of carnality, this life of following after the things of the flesh, this life of putting ourselves at the center, this life of forgetting Jesus, this life of unforgiveness, this life without love, without joy, without peace, without patience, this life without forgiving, Lord, it is not normal and it is not from you, O Christ. Help us to see how far we have to go in you, Jesus. And help us to grow. Some kid at some point called this sanctuary the big nursery. Oh, Jesus, may it never be so. Help us.
to grow in faith, in hope, in love. Help us to grow that we might be more like you, O oh Jesus, in whose name we pray.